Well, welcome to Your American Heritage, where we talk about the two things you're not supposed to talk about in polite society, religion and politics. My name is Ed Bondarenka, and I am not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. No, I thought that was going to happen live today, but it hasn't yet. My pronouns are what I learned in grade school and not some made up nonsense. I'm a Christian conservative American by the grace of almighty God. It's enough about me. Let's talk about Derek Stone, who produces the show. He's the hardest working man in radio, but he makes it all look so easy. The pros always do. Derek also hosts Stone Cold Sports Sundays, noon 30, right after my friend Sean Todd, the Rock and Rev, Rock and Rev on the intersection at noon. It's not your normal fluffy Christian show. Yeah. Well, in all seriousness, it's day 297 of the coup to take over the American government. This administration is at war with you. They are after us, those who don't bow down and worship Caesar to make the government our God. We are at war. Now we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. That's as true today as it was over 2000 years ago when it was first said, this is war. And we must realize that it is a spiritual battle. These people do not act the way they do because they came up with it <laughs> in their own evilness. Evil's been around a long time and there's a source of evil. There's a power behind the throne here. Now, it's a spiritual battle. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm not nagging on you, but you're kind of ill-equipped for spiritual battle. You know, Zen Buddhism isn't going to cut it no matter how many you know, times you watch Kung Fu. Find a Bible-believing armory, a church, and attend there and sign up with Jesus. Let's go to war. Father, please lead us and guide us today and in the days to come. Please give us the wisdom we need as we fight the assault on our nation and please help us retake the reins of government from these traitors and criminals. Please continue to awaken the people, the American people to the plan against them. Please move mightily and either bring these oppressors to a place of repentance or imprisonment. Please encourage people to turn to you for support and strength. America has no president. We have the big guy installed by a criminally corrupt political system. That system has an agenda and protection of your legal rights is not a part of it. Biden's ignoring the Supreme Court with the eviction moratorium, the remaining in Mexico policy, and now the Fifth Circuit's hold on his vaccine mandate, which he's ignoring. I believe this demonstrates how lawless he has been from before his days of pressure in Ukrainian politicians. We are under attack by the very government that was selected for us. You know, they say it's never been, I heard this on the news today on Fox News, it's never been more dangerous for the unvaccinated than now. Well, the danger is not from the Chai Vai. The danger is from your government. They force us to take a vaccine or attempt to that kills and injures many. It's demonstrable. They lock us up in our own homes and shut down our businesses. They abandon us in foreign countries. They choke off our sources of energy. They encourage an invasion across our border. They devalue our currency, electively stealing our life savings. That's what inflation does. They're doing it on purpose. You know, there's a common swear word 
that no longer represents sexual penetration. It starts with an F. But it only signals complete and visceral disgust and contempt for someone and anger. Let's go, Brandon. So joining me today is my pastor. <laughs> so I hope I didn't get too far out of line there. Uh, Sean Todd, the rock and rev, has finally joined us. Okay, he's not your fuzzy insurrectionist either. Are you there, brother? I'm here, Ed. Glad to be on your not normal fluffy insurrectionist show. Now you say it, you know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, missed the, I, you. Know, I just could sign into Skype and test it ahead of time and be smart enough, but um, I always do this. I wait to the last moment and then have to rechange the password. Yeah. So on the second half of today's show, we're going to be talking to Peter W. Wood. And um, he's an author. He's just come out with a new book. We talked to Peter last January, and I replayed it recently because I thought it was so valuable. Uh, he's the author of The 1620 Project, but he just came out with a new book called Wrath, America's Enraged. And uh, I've, I'm finding it a very good read. It, it speaks to me about what's going on and what we see. And I told Peter we'd probably be hitting on some of the topics of his book before he could join us. He can't join us till 1.30. So one of the things I want to talk about is, is anger. And, you know, and uh, beyond anger, there's wrath. And then I think beyond wrath, there's actual rage. And I think uh, rage is somewhere we don't want to go. That's that's Bruce Banner on, unhooked, you know. So one of the things I, I wanted to explore was what, you know, what constraints as Christians, and I know not all of my listeners are Christians, but a number of them are, and I am, so I'm concerned about this. What constraints are there on anger? I believe that anger is actually a good motivational tool. Sometimes if we don't get angry at something, we won't change it. If we just get sanguine and say, yeah, they're stealing all my rights. That's just the way it goes. They're all crooked politicians. Well, I think sometimes you've just got to say, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Yeah. Whereas, you know, uh, you get that way, you do stuff. So the Bible says something. Well, give me your favorite Bible quote on, on anger. Let me let you talk for a minute there, Sean. Oh, well, I would say be angry and sin not. So that, that's if that's a command, the Bible commands us to be angry. And then it commands yeah. us to not. So uh, if we're made in the image of God, the scripture talks about mm, several places, God being angry. In fact, the scripture says God's angry with the wicked every day. Now, I think we need to understand that God's anger is not an uncontrollable emotion that overcomes him. He's not, he's not fallen and sinful like us. It's a position. His wrath is a position that he takes against injustice, unrighteousness, sin, uh, things that harm us and uh, our relationship to one another. So anger is a real part of God's character. And I think, you know, in our modern contemporary hacky sack hippie Jesus day, we want Jesus to always be kind of mousy and soft spoken. And we think that his people should be mousy and we should really not stand up for things because that's just hurts people's feelings. And Jesus would never do that. And that's because it's <laughs> not to think Jesus in the Bible. 
It's not the old Pharisees. They were snakes and vipers. Why? Because they were harming God's people. It's not the one who overturned the changers' tables because they were desecrating God's temple. That's the real Jesus, the one who can get really mad, especially with hypocrisy. So God gets angry. In fact, anger is a great motivator. Anger can bring us to stand against injustice, stand up for rights. Uh, it can get us to stand up against unrighteousness. I'm angry about abortion. I should be. Any Christian should be angry. It's not some, well, let's just love people and hope that they do the best. No, we should be angry at things that affect others, and we should be angry at unrighteousness as well. Yeah, well, that sounds that sounds reasonable. You know, as you were talking about Jesus in the temple, I just realized there's one time in the Bible that I can think of where we see Jesus pick up a weapon. And that's when he nodded. It was knotted ropes that he took after those money changers, right? To give them a force multiplier. This made his own weapon, handcrafted his own weapon, <laughs> probably slowly and meticulously in front of them, ah. showing them what he's about to do because they were desecrating the house of God. <laughs> that's an interesting take on it. I've never just had a permit for that whip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To go and get a uh, conceal. Actually, it was open carry, open carrying the whip. But I, I it's... was it was it a uh, was it an assault whip or a regular whip? I think it was an assault whip, but it wasn't a deadly whip either. You know, and and so the point is that um, when we sin, when we anger, we be anger and sin not. That's that's the point. We've got to find out what is the sin issue. I mean, being angry and murdering somebody, kind of a problem there. Being angry and doing physical damage to somebody that is not threatening us, you know, with physical damage, that's probably a place you don't want to go. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be frank here. There's times I see some politicians as a very threat I see them as a what they call an existential threat to me. They talk about doing things that will actually put me in jail or in prison, cost me my income. Uh, there's times where I wonder, well, what what do we do about people who are imminently threatened? It's, it's very similar to the guy who's in your face screaming, oh, like Kyle Rittenhouse had that guy screaming, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. Well. Kyle didn't shoot him at that moment. He waited till the guy actually tried to kill him and then shot him. I think that's a a good uh, uh, oh example of that. What do you think? Yeah, it says the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. So there's a fallen anger, which we get our human our humanness involved, where we're, we're more personally offended. But being offended at the things God is offended by is a duty of a Christian. And um, so there is a, an element of, of fallen anger that we're not supposed to delve into and reactions that are fallen, but it is it is that righteous anger that drives us to go stand in front of the abortion clinic and, and pray and to, uh, to intercede with politicians to do the right thing. And um, there is a, a righteous anger, which God holds, which is always right. And, um, you know, that sometimes that's a fine line because sometimes when I watch the news, I don't know if I'm in the righteous anger part or if I'm crossing over into the the wrath of man. But um, being angry is 
um, you know, the duty of a Christian, especially towards things that are harmful to others, harmful to the nation, and harmful to, um, you know, our personal liberties. You know, there's a, a verse that says, pray for those that uh, have the rule over you. And I, I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't pretend to be one. I didn't even sleep at a Holiday Inn last night. But there, I looked it up in, the, in my Strong's diction, in Strong's lexicon, and it said that is often translated as the word about or similarly to that. In other words, it, it doesn't necessarily say like, pray that they would be supported. It, it doesn't say that they would, you know, that they would be, that you're supporting them, you know, that yeah, go, go, like, <laughs> let's go, Brandon. Not exactly that, but rather that we pray about how to deal with them or we pray that God takes care of the situation. So we find ourselves under a tyrannical government we approach the throne of God and say, like the like the Jews did in history, deliver us, please, deliver us. And he often sent a deliverer. I mean, we talk about Trump being a, a uh, figure, almost a biblical figure, at least some of us do. You know, it's somebody that God sent us to save us from Hillary Clinton and company, you know, at least temporarily. And so the, the point is um, that we pray about the situation with a political situation we find in. We ask God to deliver us. That's that's part of spiritual warfare. Uh, there have been times that I've prayed that God would actually take President Obama. I I don't know if I prayed exactly that he would cause him to have worms eat him up while he's speaking behind a podium like like Herod. But there's often times I wonder why he doesn't. You know. It's not for me to give. It's not for me to make God my hitman. No matter how many times I scream at the TV and ask somebody to just die, which is not appropriate, and I have to apologize to God for that outburst. But uh, there is that. What do you think? We can absolutely support someone in prayer while oppose them in their policies. That's there's nothing unbiblical about that. Uh, when Paul penned that, I believe Nero was probably the emperor at that time. Um, I don't believe Paul was praying for Aaron Nero's success in persecuting the Christians. I don't believe he was praying in Nero's success in forcing uh, false religion on everybody. I don't believe he was praying in his success to murder people in the Colosseum. But I believe what he was saying is that if we pray and leave it to God, God can do wonders. Whether that be change the person's heart and they repent or take them out. I mean, you know, we don't we don't limit God, we just leave it to God. So, you know, the aspect of when I, when I, when I have to grit my teeth and pray for some of those who are in authority that I, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, what am I praying for? I just pray that God has his will in his way. So that there's either a, a Saul of Tarsus conversion where they're blinded, they repent and they change their ways, or God limits their ability to do damage, um, whatever way that is, whatever way that is. Um, fortunately, we live in a free world society. So if the nation elects or steals a presidential election and we get the wrong person, um, there's man's free will in there. So unrepentant people can, ungodly people can rule over us, unfortunately, but they can't rule us. That's a whole different story because we're free in the Lord. Um, they can't extract our faith from us. They can't make us stop believing. Um, so, you know, I always just pray that God would either change their heart and they would repent or that he would limit their ability to do damage or destruction. 
um, and ultimately uh, replace them with somebody who will will do the right thing. I'm reading, actually studying a part of a Bible study in my house on Tuesday nights, and we are going through the book of Judges right now. One thing that struck me was that uh, a messenger came and said, a messenger from God came and said uh, uh, that the people that came into uh, the land, into Canaan, uh, had not known war. They'd been out in the desert and God left some enemies among them. Well, they didn't kill everybody. So he left some enemies that the people would learn to do war. And so it seemed like every 40 to 80 years, a deliverer would come in response to their prayers. They were crying out to God and God delivered somebody, one of the people we call the judges, whether it was Gideon or whether it was Deborah or uh, uh, Elhud, I think one guy's name was. And then these guys would lead the nation and then the nation would fall away again after this victory. But this, there's this constant ebb and flow because the people would lose focus and forget the God that delivered them. And they get to the point, but God would deliver them. I, I remember being under the Obama uh, heel and thinking this is it, this is the end of America. It's just the people reelected this clown. They don't see that we're headed towards socialism, eventually tyranny and, and domination over us. And then out of the blue, we got Donald Trump, a deliverer. And then we didn't. <laughs> and, and I'm afraid that people are looking towards Donald Trump. Oh yeah, Donald Trump, 2024, instead of looking to God and saying, God, who's the new face you have for us? Who's who are we going to have this time? What are you going to do for us? If indeed we pray and ask for that deliverance from uh, the Biden selection. So, yeah. Any comment? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, sometimes you need a contrast. And reading through the book of Second Kings, it's funny. You get, get a righteous king and sometimes their son would be righteous. And right after that, you get a wicked king who would turn the nation away. And uh, it kind of depended on where the nation's heart was at the time um i guess what confounds me and i know people don't like to bring this argument up being politically oriented but um I, I don't get the people who vote for ideals and propositions that are completely in defiance to their claim to christian faith because they don't like a guy's attitude or they don't they don't like his personality they don't they don't like the policies um and you look at that and you say so maybe we're in a place where sometimes God gives people, remember they wanted, uh, they came to God and said, we want a king. So he gave him Saul. And he said, well, this is what he's going to do to you. He's going to conscript your, your young people into war. He's going to tax the crap out of you. He's going to make life miserable for you. And they said, we don't care. We want a king anyway. And I think that sometimes God leaves us over to those things. But to be honest, I think this is the gift that keeps on giving. I think Obama was as well, because the repercussions, you, you see the I was disheartened maybe at the election results, but heartened at the people who are now standing up. Uh, Virginia, a deep blue state, should have stayed deep blue. New Jersey, um, whether there was some theft there or not, shouldn't have been close. And maybe there's still some common sense out there and maybe there's still some spiritual conviction, but I think sometimes we need the contrast. You know, we need to, to understand what it's like to be in a position to where our liberties are being limited. And then uh, maybe it gets, invokes that American spirit to stand up and fight. 
your show last Sunday spoke of that, and it was it was very well done. I, I posted it. Uh, actually, I kind of forgot to post it until this morning, but it's a, at uh, the archives. Every, Say it again. I'm sorry. And I appreciate it every week. Ed Ed Bondarenka, oh. the Rock and Rev shows. <laughs> that's how they get on. Because the Rock and Rev doesn't do it himself. Thank you, Ed Bondarenka. Well, find Sean Todd on Facebook. Uh, S E A N, the correct spelling. Sean Todd on Facebook and on his timeline, you'll find a link to his show and you should listen to it. It's, it's a very good show comes on, like I said, comes on at uh, right uh, before Derek's show. Uh, so that should be easy for you. Just tune in a little earlier before Derek's show and you'll catch Sean's, Sean's show. So um, I know that you're a level-headed guy. You never really get upset and want to throw stuff at the TV, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. Because <laughs> this year, but yes, yeah. Like I said, I'm I'm myself. Uh, I like the Bruce Banner response to anger. Doctor Banner, now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. Now, that's probably the wrong response to being angry, but, uh, yeah, you know, breaking things. That worked to our advantage in that particular movie. But this insensate rage that some people uh, fly into, uh, almost a wrath. Some people think that wrath is uh, can be a, a good thing. You know, don't hold it in. You know, I think in the 60s and 70s, we heard don't hold it in. Let it all out. It's unhealthy for you to hold it in. Well, it's unhealthy for you to let it all out sometimes. And for one, it can get you a slap in the mouth. And another thing, it could it could be uh, get you in jail. And another thing, it could just harm the people around you that you're being, you know, honest with, or that you're you're letting your 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 rage fly at them because of some uh, uh, perhaps even innocent remark they made. They didn't mean to say what. You know, you think they said and they didn't even see you when they cut you off in traffic, you know, and for you to pull up alongside of them and scream at them, you know, and I'm, I'm glad I've never done that much. <laughs> and you know, that's that's kind of inappropriate. You got to take these these things. And, and if you've got to vent, then, you know, like opening a cap of a uh, of, uh, pop bottle that fell on the floor. Do it slowly. You know, the other results are usually ugly. <laughs> and there's a lot of cleanup on, on the aisle. So, um, so let's see now. Any comment on that? I really, I'm really at a loss of anything more to say on that topic. Yeah, I get really, I'm really bummed out that so many Christians see um, any sort of anger as a negative or a sinful thing when in fact, you know, there are times to be angry in a righteous way. And um, I think they've painted a pretty uh, convoluted uh, picture of Jesus. Um, yeah, well, I, I think we have a right. We have a, a government that's out to get us. We have a government that's out to enslave us. I think it's only right that uh, that we get angry and upset and so as as a consequence, uh, we just need to know what to do the right way, organize ourselves and respond appropriately. So um, we've got about 
15 seconds left, folks. Why don't you come back after the break and join us, and we'll have author Peter W. Wood, and we'll explore this a little bit more. Thank you. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous. We were warriors on the front lines, standing unafraid. Yeah, courageous. Thanks for returning to Your American Heritage. I'm your host, Ed Bondarenka. Joining us today, joining uh, Sean Todd and myself, is our guest, author, and previous contestant, Peter W. Wood, president of the National Association of Scholars. He's the author of A Bee in the Mouth, Anger in America, The 1620 Project, which we interviewed him about last January, get the podcast, and now his latest, Wrath, America Enraged. Welcome to the show, Dr. Wood. Thank you for having me back. It's, it's, I, I so much enjoyed our last conversation that I actually replayed it when we uh, had a, a, uh, an issue where we couldn't go live one week. And I said, well, that's one of my favorite interviews. And I was certainly happy to play that again. So, and the last time we talked, I really looked forward to getting your book, uh, um, Be in the Mouth because it title intrigued me. And it's like like seeing a record and uh, back when we used to buy vinyl albums and the cover art often lured us in. Well, the title of the book actually was uh, uh, luring me in. And uh, then when I saw that you did this, Wrath, America, Enraged, this is the book I've got to get because it's the update. So what is it that prompted, you're an anthropologist, right? Yes. What prompted you to write this book? What actually did you say, you know, I've, I've got to do this? Well, what set me off was the 2020 presidential election, uh, the riot on the Capitol Hill and the Democratic response that declared that uh, that was uh, an insurrection, which I thought it was not. Um, I, I wrote the book as a, probably the most political book I've ever written uh, in that I uh, I self-identify as one of those conservatives who think that the 2020 election was marred in some serious <laughs> ways and uh, that the uh, minor riot at the Capitol Hill was blown way out of proportion and the result of it was a an attempt by uh, President Biden, Nancy Pelosi and others to uh, seize illegitimate power. So people have ended up locked up in a Washington jail now for uh, 10 months, I think without appropriate charges and uh, without appropriate recourse. Uh, but beyond that, the mass media have blasted us for this whole year with uh, the theme that raising any questions about the 2020 election was uh, the big lie or illegitimate, uh, that this is a matter that cannot be discussed or that the uh, uh, riot on Capitol Hill was genuinely an, an attempt to overthrow the duly elected government. These things seem to me to be preposterous falsehoods, and uh, they are repeated ad nauseum by the mainstream press. And it was in that mood of myself feeling 
more anger than probably I've ever felt before over public affairs that I decided to return to the topic of that book I wrote 15 years ago that you mentioned, The Bee in the Mouth, Anger in America Now. So I've got a new now, uh, the present of uh, what happened during the Trump years and what's happening during the uh, the Biden year uh, that seemed to me to be a, uh, a strong prompt to go back and take another look at how Americans got as angry as we are and how that's playing out in the political world. Uh, it is true that my book doesn't really offer any solutions. It's more of an attempt to diagnose what's happening. Uh, I do think one not quite solution that I have to offer has already um, come about without my help. That is when school board meetings get flooded with uh, upset parents who are demanding changes, when uh, uh, air traffic controllers and pilots and nurses and doctors and firefighters refuse to go along with the impositions that the federal government is making on them, uh, I think we're seeing a constructive use of the anger that has been evoked over the last year. Uh, I I worry a lot that uh, the left is enticing conservatives to uh, overreact, take up arms, start shooting, uh, which will just be used as an excuse for a more uh, thunderous overthrow of our republic than we've already had. So I'm hoping what we can do is steer the rightful wrath of the conservative movement towards a more constructive end. Well, that's in the book. Uh, The book weaves its way to that destination, uh, but I'm really much more interested in trying to figure out how we got here and what it means than trying to uh, devise a political program to fix it. You know, in reading your book, uh, which I was so excited to even open up the first few pages, I, I, I started reading, I said, man, I've got to get Dr. Wood on here as as soon as possible. I would have liked to have had more time to talk about it because I, I'd almost like to go through it chapter by chapter with you. You have so many interesting insights in there. Folks, I, I highly recommend you, you, uh, you can get it on Amazon. It's called Wrath. It's by Peter W. Wood. And, uh, Boy, if you're if you like reading, and if you want to see how we got where we are, this is a way of doing it. Uh, I was talking to uh, Pastor Sean Todd earlier before you came on. I guess technical difficulties have dropped him off, but we were talking about anger as a motivator. And when you first started talking about why you read the wrote the book, my first thought was, "Hey, he's motivated by anger." And anger, oh, there he is. He's back. Anger isn't a bad thing. Anger is a motivator. It's just how you handle the anger. Is that, I mean, is that correct? Yes. Anger is an ordinary human emotion. All people in all times have have had it, but it does get shaped a bit by our cultural expectations. So at one time, America's admired the, the man who could be provoked, but not break down into anger, find a path to action that was uh, not simply making a display of himself. The angry person who just uh, lets rip with uh, a denunciation of his enemies uh, and engages in a lot of verbal firepower uh, doesn't accomplish much. 
And our ancestors recognized that. That's been the American way. The strong, silent type has been our hero from George Washington on. Uh, but it changed starting in the 1950s. And I spend some time in the book looking back to earlier decades as to how we decided that uh, that feeling of power that comes with being really angry is something that is so good that we should get more of it and cultivate it and uh, bring it front and central into our lives. Uh, so I think what has happened over time is that the old restraints have fallen away. Uh, we now make anger entertaining. So it's been in our, our popular music, our movies. Uh, it's a staple of uh, how we conduct our sports these days. Uh, being angry all the time. There was a slogan for a while, play angry. Uh, well, playing angry may not be the best way to to win. I'm, you know, I'm talking to you here from a gym and uh, do karate and stuff like that. And the last thing you want to do is get angry if you're engaged in the martial arts. Uh, you're going to beat the person who gets angry. You got to be cool. Uh, that lesson has been by and large lost. Uh, I think it's lost more profoundly on the American left, which has decided that uh, anger makes for a good lifestyle. And of course, it's a very effective way to uh, galvanize people of what you're trying to do is get a riot going in the streets of Portland or Kenosha. Uh, anger uh, is a prelude to violence and the, uh, the sense of being uh, lifted up and sort of carried away by one's uh, wrath towards enemies, real or imagined, uh, is very exciting. So it's exciting to watch and it's even more exciting to participate in. Uh, learning to pull back from that and figure out how best you can handle your uh, unhappiness, let's just use the blandest word possible, uh, is something that adults can do. Uh, children have to be taught it. If we choose not to teach our children how to handle their anger, I think you end up with Antifa. You end up with these uh, sort of brats in their 20s who think nothing of uh, uh, throwing frozen water bottles at uh, cops or Molotov cocktails into storefronts. Uh, so that's what we want to avoid. As you were speaking, I was... I was thinking in terms of anger actually being a drug when you you like that elated feeling you get. I'm really angry and you act out and like, wow, I'm really, I'm really, I never felt so alive. And so it can be an addicting thing because if that's the only way you ever never felt so alive, then you need to find other things to do with your life to feel alive that aren't destructive. You mentioned our culture and I was thinking in terms of some of the movie stars that we would see uh, uh, back in the early days, particularly Westerns. I, I recently watched a Western with Jimmy Stewart, I think the man from Laramie. And in it, he got in a fight with this guy. The guy just was like, started horse whipping him. But then they they actually, he, he just let it go. And they he they actually could interact with each other because he didn't hold that in. He just let it go. Now, it, was, it didn't stay that way towards, you know, the whole movie, but... You know, you got your John Wayne character strong enough. You are, you know, karate. So you know that you know something somebody else doesn't know about you, you know? And so you can let some things go. Jesus said, 
you know, let a man slap you on the cheek. If a man slaps you on the, and I think it's the left side, Pastor Sean, left side, you know, uh, uh, turn the right to him. But uh, that's always a, that was always seen as an insulting slap, a weak-handed slap for most people. It wasn't a punch in the face. But, you know, you can turn your other cheek to him, but that doesn't mean you don't have to be prepared to block the blow. It just means if nothing else, lead him on. <laughs> lead him into the trap because you know which way he's going to attack you next. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but there's, there's a certain time point where we changed from that knowing who you are and knowing how deadly or how forceful your response can be and therefore restraining yourselves. We used to hear that about actually about karate. Your hands are registered as as uh, uh, weapons, so you dare not use them, you know, or we'll take you to court. But then we saw, like in the culture, we saw the Rolling Stones. I was thinking that this morning as I was reading your book. Uh, you didn't mention it, but the Stones had that song came out, Street Fighting Man. Yes. And that's all he's singing about is being a street fighter, you know, a rage. And when you talk about Antifa, I remember hearing this interview a couple years ago about a guy who went into Antifa and got out. And he got out. I think he may be a Christian now, but he certainly is a lot clearer thinking. And this hour-long interview was so interesting. And it talked about how he got, how they sucked him in. They sucked him in because of his rage. And his rage because was because of the situation he grew up in his home. You know, a fatherless home and somebody comes up to him. And part of a recruiting tool for these thugs is to give a place for them to vent their anger and their rage. We had in the 60s, I think, uh, the thing they called the Days of Rage, and yes. the Students for a Democratic Society. And, and I think that's where we started seeing the turning point where all of a sudden it seemed to be appropriate for, for rage because, you know, rage against the system, right? So I think one thing your book does is it gives, as an anthropologist, you've really looked at our culture. I've, some of the references you give in there uh, I hadn't heard before. That's good. That's why you read because you learn. Thank you. Right. Well, it, the, big, the book is a bit hard to uh, talk about because it takes us into so much detail. But let's uh, let's pick a, a subject like uh, music, for example. You bring up the Rolling Stones. Uh, rock music isn't necessarily angry music. Uh, Hip hop isn't necessarily hang angry either. Uh, but both of them really lend themselves well to uh, expression of angry emotions. It's hard to think that, say, in the big band era, that uh, <laughs> uh, a Benny Goodman song was going to be adopted as a uh, uh, anthem for uh, rage-filled people. Uh, there were songs about anger uh, that were popular way before my time. Uh, the uh, the songs that uh, dominated the popular playlist in the uh, Depression, for example, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime? Uh, if you ever go back and look at the lyrics of that, it's kind of an angry song. It's, uh, the song is about a World War I vet who's now down on his luck, and he and his fellows, the song describes uh, helped uh, build the bridges and build the dams and were making the country. And, and now, brother, can you spare a dime? Now, that could be delivered with a snarl and an accusation that 
you owe me something. And it does have an underlying, there's a debt here to be paid quality, but instead of uh, uh, being an attack on other people, it, the mood of the song is, uh, is sad and plaintive. It's uh, trying to evoke someone's humanity, not someone's rage. Um, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime was written by the same guy who wrote uh, Over the Rainbow, the song from The Wizard of Oz. Uh, there is this uh, element in popular culture then that there was plenty of stuff to be angry about. Uh, the country was in a terrible depression. Millions of people were out of work. Uh, lots of people had lost their homes. And that, however, got translated into something other than a call for uh, rage against the, the government or the machine or, or society. Um, how did we get from that to the popular songs of uh, the 60s and 70s? You can go on the Internet and look up angry songs and get practically a day-long playlist of uh, songs that will stoke your anger because they are expressing uh, rage. Well, you can do the same thing with movies. Uh, uh, you mentioned Jimmy Stewart. Uh, one of the figures that sort of epitomizes the old ethic of self-restraint would be Gary Cooper, uh, mm -hmm. this figure who uh, gets provoked endlessly, and you know he, he really should break out and do something, but he holds himself back. Eventually, he's going to be driven to the showdown at the end of the movie, whatever that I might know. be. High noon. In high noon, yeah. Um, so to control your anger is not to become a pathetic wimp and not to defend yourself and not to uh, pay no heed to the need for justice, but it is to approach those things uh, with deliberation and with that self-restraint, self-government. The self-government of the individual has a lot to do with successful self-government of a nation. And when those things get pulled apart, we're not so good at figuring out how to manage our public affairs. Um, so there's music. You know, the uh, the theme song of uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt's political campaigns was Happy Days Are Here Again. Uh, the theme song of uh, uh, the uh, current vice president was a Mary Blige song that has lyrics about... Uh, they're going to get mad anyway, so let's just make them mad. Uh, the uh, the call to rage has become uh, the complete inversion of how the Democrats used to see their public appeal. Uh, instead of being happy, and our, our happy warriors like FDR and Reagan have been replaced with these people who uh, call out uh, their opponents and so, you know, drive them towards uh, uh, obliteration, basically, is what they're seeking. Um, during the uh, summer of riots that crossed the country in 2020, uh, we had political leaders, uh, governors in some states, mayors in other cities, uh, and uh, even um, national political leaders saying, that's just peaceful protest. Uh, never mind. We're not going to call out the police. We're not going to use any force. That's not self-restraint. Uh, that's simply a permission slip 
to those who are um, deciding to give full license to destructive anger. Um, that's, I'll, that's I'll pause on that. Well, that's that's used as a motivational tool by the other side to get, I mean, to to uh, tear down cities, uh, basically to cause distress in the land. Sean, do you have any insight on that? Do you want to share? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk. Oh, no, it's fine. I'm plenty of talking before um, I just made the observation. And I think the doctor said it best that anger on the left, no matter how irrational, always seems to be right. And anger on the right, no matter how rational, always seems to be wrong. It's a sign of white supremacy or racism, or so. It's just that um, that uh, that twisting of what uh, real righteous indignation looks like. Yeah, when real righteous indignation. When you speak of righteous, what we were talking about earlier before you came on about how the Bible says, "Be angry and sin not," and and there's another verse that says, "Let not the sun go down on your wrath." Now, I often wonder if that doesn't mean, well, get your wrath out of the way before the sun goes down. <laughs> I don't think that's what that biblical admonition means. Like, hey, Harry, do something wrathful before the sun goes down. I think it basically means, you know, like, don't think that you're accomplishing your goals, but certainly find a place of peace. You know, we were talking about that bottle of pop you drop on the floor and you know what's gonna happen when you open it. So you open it slowly, you know, you don't just let it all rip at once. And and you want to find the safe place to vent it, which is usually over the kitchen sink, you know, not in the car. So there's there's obviously appropriate rate places to vent. Uh, I actually lost a job once by venting inappropriately, and I was doing it in a humorous manner. I was in my office with my guy who shares my office, and there was this email I got, and I, I turned to my friend and I says, today, he feels the wrath of Ed, you know? And I didn't know the president of the company he was walking down the hallway at that moment. He was visiting our plant and he thought that was very unmanagerial. <laughs> and at short notice, I was gone. In retrospect, good thing, got to raise the next place. Didn't look bad on my resume. So, you know, sometimes God moves you like that. Regardless, uh, you want to watch what you do, even if you're clowning around. It can have adverse effects. Heck, you can destroy a city, but there's there are appropriate ways, like you were saying earlier, you know, you go to your school board, tell them off, get angry and tell them off. Don't just say, I really don't like what you're doing to my children. I don't like the fact that you're showing them pornography. No, let them know, you know, and when it gets on, just don't look like a fool when they, you know, show the video of you on TV. You know, it's 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 doing the right thing in the way in a, in a manner, I would say in a Christian manner that uh, uh is conducive to your ends. So, yeah, having said that. I, I would add two things to this, that when you get angry at, at a school board meeting or a town hall or something like that, you should know your facts. Don't go in unarmed with uh, uh, poor information or conjecture. Uh, and the other thing is uh, try to treat the person you're addressing as a fellow human being. It doesn't mean you can't be angry at him, but you ought to be able to realize that there's humanity there. And if you do that, you're going to be much more effective, not only in addressing that person, but affecting the people around you. That's that's the channeling of anger into a, a more productive place. Exactly the approach we should take in a situation like that. 
Well, we've run out of time, and I'd like to thank Dr. Peter W. Wood, author of Wrath, America Enraged, and Pastor Sean Todd of Ignite Church in Milan for joining me today. And I'd like to thank uh, our audience for listening, and I'd like to thank Derek Stone for producing. Join us once again next week for Your American Heritage. We were made to be correct.